So kids and I went to uh, the zoo yesterday with Lindsay. We'd been talking about it, and you know, it's one of those things where you get the member pass, right? And, and so you never have to think too much. If, if you get a half hour's worth of time at the zoo, the only thing you don't like is it takes you 25 minutes to get there. So, you know, you at least got to get an hour's worth to make the back and forth worth the time. And I realized something uh, at the zoo that I had not fully grasped. I, mean, I think I knew it, but it wasn't until yesterday that I fully grasped it and that it is my wife is a consummate rescue photographer. Now, what do, I, what do I mean about being a rescue photographer? Well, my wife is always the person that if you have a group of folks that are kind of stumbling around trying to get a picture, my wife is always the first one that if she's within like 15 feet of somebody will say, do you want me to take that picture for you? And, and she will put the extra effort in it to like, I mean, Lindsay apparently knows every single possible phone, its photography setting, she knows how to work it right, she knows how to adjust, like if it was caught on the timer mode, now it's no longer on the timer mode. Y'all, she did this like three or four times at, at the zoo yesterday, and here's the thing, we were only there like an hour and a half. But this is so important, right? This is, this is a, a, a spiritual gift, right? This is a fruit of the spirit. If, if Paul would have had it in his imagination to know about iPhones, you know, blessed are the ones who take other people's pictures, for they will be the ones uh, who are the photographers in heaven, right? Um, it's important because otherwise, without the emergency rescue photographers, none of the photos that you see in your phone or in your, in your picture book would be right. There would always be somebody left out of the picture, right? And every single time you go back to that picture, you'd have to remember, now why am I not in that picture? Oh right, I'm the schmuck who got caught on the backside of the phone while everybody else got to be in the picture. Or if you try to do a selfie, and thanks be to God, the selfie stick is long on its way out because those things were strange. But, you know, I have a phone right here. And, you know, if, you, if I'm taking a picture, uh, I'm, if I want to take a picture with the, with the choir here, and I, you know, this is going to go on the Facebook page later. But <laughs> you can tell, it's like I got a contort, and then, I mean, there's half the folks back here that aren't even in there. I don't really care about them. I sit next to them all day anyway. Oh, sorry, guys. Uh, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, it, it's never right. It's always contorted. It's always imperfect. It's always you got to spend the extra effort to be like, why is Adam's face so big? And what's going on with the rest of them? The solution to all this contortion, of course, is to get somebody to be on the other side of the camera. Instead of trying to use a selfie camera that's never quite as good as the ones that they put on the back, Right, all the fancy stuff's on the back side. Right, get somebody on this side who's willing to take a picture. That was a nice picture of all of you. Um, it's better to have somebody on the other side and not try to fight so hard to do it yourself. And it was really funny yesterday as I, as I watched these families that they almost seemed relieved. You know, now they weren't the ones, they didn't take any extra effort to like go around and ask the question, hey, would somebody take this picture for us? 
right? Because that's the solution would be to find somebody, but you would have thought it was like, we can't ask this at the zoo. And then somebody had to go out of their way, and the second somebody was willing to do it, you just saw shoulders drop. Like, thank goodness. And, and what you saw were, you know, a young couple with a baby just old enough to be out at the zoo, right? I got to see that picture. I got to see a picture of a family. It looked like three generations of family members going to the zoo together. They were relieved, and the picture itself was even better because everybody was a part of it. And of course, this made me think about our gospel today in Mark. You know, the disciples are spending a lot of time in this passage fussing about who was going to flank Jesus in the ultimate picture in heaven, right? Like, oh, hey, like, I want to be on the left side. My brother will be on the right side. We're going to be hanging out with you for all eternity, and we're going to look really good. Every time somebody wants to take a selfie with us, we're all going to be right in the middle. Right? And it gets to the point where James and John are fussing so much that it gets everybody else riled up too, right? Like, this isn't just sort of an on-the-side conversation. But this is one of the times that you actually see that not is all well and good with our bandy brothers moving around with Jesus. It seems like there may be a little jealousy afoot. And there's lots of contortion going on in the same way to try to make a selfie of spirituality. It's the same thing here. James and John are trying to jockey themselves to be at the front with Jesus. Please, Jesus, let me do whatever you need me to do. You need me to take that cup, I'll take that cup. If it gets me that left-handed throne or right-handed throne, I'm all about it. And Jesus pushes back. It's not about the glory of the picture or anything else for that matter. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying... This is all about being a servant. That really it's not a matter of getting the selfie. It's not a matter of being at the left or the right. It's not being the altos next to the pastor. No. It's holding the camera for everyone else and offering to take their picture. And here's the thing. Why would we want to try to seek glory anyways this is the best part of this of this job passage for me why would we want to chase this if y'all remember the story of job it's one of the oldest stories it's actually one of the oldest stories in text period but it's the story of a wealthy man who has this great life family and cattle and everything and like that it all goes away Job is obviously despondent, and his buddies, who are awful friends, as you read the series, they're like, well, Job, this is clearly your fault. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, that is legitimate. It's a bad way to have an argument with your spouse. It's like, why don't you just curse God and die? But they keep going, and they keep trying to figure out, well, why did this happen, Job? Clearly, it was your fault. Clearly, it was someone else's fault. And this is how it resolves itself, which admittedly is not the most comforting resolve for me in 2021. But God somehow comes out and enters the stage and says, almost in this, like, snarky way, like, who do you think you are? Oh, I'm sorry. Were you there when I created everything? No. No. Well, maybe you ought to keep your mouth shut. 
And it's really funny to hear God say this out loud to a group of people who had just spent weeks trying to figure out what the problem was with Job. God just says, I'm pretty incredible. And so maybe we spend so much time as humans trying to chase glory, trying, again, like it was in the confession, the sort of brighter spotlights and the louder applause, when really the gap between the least glorious and the most glorious person on this earth and God who's like, what's up, I created literally everything, is pretty wide. It reminds me of a song I, I listened to by Audio Adrenaline, you know, one of the contemporary Christian bands back when I was growing up, never going to be as big as Jesus, never going to hold the world in my hands, never going to be as big as Jesus, never going to build a promised land, but that's all right with me. It's da 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 It's the end of it. It might not be worth it then at the end of the day, to try to chase the glory and the spotlight if we do really take God at God's word, which is, yeah, I'm pretty amazing and spectacular and I've done a lot of things that you'll never do. Now, I know sometimes that it's hard for me too to hear that and then think, well, what do I do then? Like, I'd like to be doing something for this world. I'd like to do good. I'd like to be able to be proud of what I'm doing. And maybe if there's a part of it that, like, yeah, I get a little accolades along the way, yeah, that, that, that's nice. Stroke the ego a little bit. Who doesn't love that from time to time? Well, I think the simple message here is twofold between these two texts. And there's an obvious one that over and over and over again, Jesus calls us to be servants First, now lest we forget that he's all talk and no action, the story in Mark gets enacted just a few short chapters from now on Monday, Thursday. Oh, Jesus, please don't wash our feet. Please don't wash our feet. And Jesus says, you have to be a servant. And Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So this is not just a bunch of talk from our Savior, but this is actually what he believes too. And he, of anybody, has the right to say is fully human, fully God. I don't have to do this. I could slide on it. But instead, Jesus enacts himself. The idea of being a servant first. This is always a given as part of this faith journey. I think what it invites us to do is instead of trying to contort ourselves to be in the center of our own picture, it invites us instead to bring others that would have been on the other side of the photo right towards the center of it. Oh, person who always gets stuck taking the picture and then you have to justify why you're not there, come be a part of the photo because I am here to take it for you. So that when your baby child who cannot even speak sees this picture of you at the zoo for the first time, they see both the parents and not only one. That servant's heart is the one that says, you don't have to do this work anymore. Let me allow you to be at the center of the picture that you deserve to be at the center of. And friends, I think what that does is it demonstrates some of the very best of community. Because who doesn't love seeing a picture of multiple generations together at the same time at an event? 
It is rare that, that, that there isn't a photo somewhere uh, in, in all of your albums that doesn't have multiple generations hanging out together. It's rare that we don't have the photo of the baby and the couple together. And I think, friends, what it does is it allows, then, others to have just a little bit of the glory. Because now they can look. Have you ever noticed this? You know, you take that picture, and what, is, what do you do? What do you do first when somebody else takes that picture? You, you go back and you look at it yourself, right? Now, some of it is you want to be like, this person really doesn't know what they're doing, and now you've got a thumb in the middle of it. You've got to ask them to take it again. But you know when they've done it right, what you, what you end up doing, right? You end up looking at it and you're like, I'm glad that person asked. I'm glad that that person took some time out of their day to help me have a nice picture that I can take with me. Boy, isn't that, isn't that the way you'd, you'd like all your life to go? Isn't that the way you want the church to be thought of? Y'all, if there's anything else to remember from this Sunday, is just like the church can be the one who's willing to say, there's a fire truck out there. The church can be the one to say, let me take your photo for you. Come be at the center of what's going on. So yes, first and foremost, to be a servant first. That's something that we hear all the time. But I also think there's something good about the person who's taking the picture too, right? It's not just a, a drudgery. It's just not a chore. Because I think when we can see through the lens of someone else and we can see what they want to see, well, I think you get to see a little bit more of God's majesty and goodness. That maybe God's telling of God's self in Job doesn't have to be so far afield as to make it feel like an impersonal, immovable God, but perhaps that same God that created everything is actually in the picture of the young family, actually is in the picture of the generations, and is in the picture of a beautiful creation that still sustains itself for God's majesty. You don't get to see that when you're getting the picture taken. You only get to see it when you're the one taking the picture. There's always, friends, a story to tell in every photo. And there's a lot of opportunities to tell it. I know this from yesterday. There were three or four times that we got to tell that story. And maybe the first time I was a little like, oh boy, here we go. But the second time, the third time, the fourth time, I got to watch God work at the Jacksonville Zoo. And shame on me for thinking anything otherwise. Because every picture that was taken showed beauty, showed family, showed life, showed hope. And some really cool animals at times, too. Certainly, I saw that more than I had I just been the observer myself. But at the end of the day, friends, and this is where we have to go deeper, is that it requires us to not be the subject ourselves. To not be the center of every photo. But instead, to seek others. And to say, come be a part of this photo. 
it's not the most glorious thing, is it? It's not the thing you put up in the, you know, you might put it up on Facebook, but it's not you. You Tag some other random person along the way. But friends, that is where life is. That's where Christ is. In the depth of a simple photo taken of someone else. So friends, if you take anything from this, just be willing to ask the question, hey, can I, uh, can I take that picture for you? Do the best you can. Because I promise you, through that simple screen, is God waiting to show you God's majesty. Thanks be to God.